Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is episode two of two of The Art of the Rifle by Colonel Cooper. Now, uh, it's been insane. He has been teaching us about what is marksmanship, why should you even want to use a rifle, hint, to become a god. And um, he's been talking about the example of the best marksman he'd ever heard of. It was just somebody who kind of taught taught himself, learned on his own, but was ruthlessly consistent. He clarified for us that a rifle, when he's saying rifle, it ain't a, none of that pussy-ass two-two-three shit. It's a thirty-caliber rifle, so you know, akin to a hunting rifle nowadays. And then he's walking now into how to shoot, gun handling, what to do mindset some rules some fucking crazy shit there's kind of a logical structure here but basically again we're pulling up next to that crazy guy with the scars on his face at the bar who's just pounding shots of whiskey and we're like sir you look like you've got interesting stories would it be possible that i provide you whiskey and you regale me with tales of battle and he looks at you and he says why yes boys and that's what's happening chapter four gun handling the proper management of the rifle is not just a matter of hitting what you shoot at it is also the efficient management of the weapon at all times before during and after the actual shooting the three elements of successful field shooting are marksmanship gun handling and mindset all are necessary but the option the absence of any takes the shooter out of the game now he talks about the four rules of gun safety, which he, I think he fucking invented. Um, all guns are always loaded. Never point a muzzle at anything you aren't willing to destroy. Booger hooker off the bang switch until you're ready for it to go bang. And know your target and what is behind it. In studying these rules, you will find that if they are always observed by all people at all times, there could be no such thing as a firearm accident. As to that, it may be proper to insist that there is no such thing as a firearms accident, only negligence. Because again, this is like the gun handling chapters, like, how do you handle it? And he goes into a bunch of shit about transporting a rifle, when do you have one in the chamber, when do you not? Um, summary is, use your fucking mind, you know? If you're truly going to have to use it for defense or hunting, you know, probably have one in the chamber but if you're like climbing into the tree and it's you know 40 minutes before even legal shooting light you know the risk of dropping a rifle and shooting yourself somehow you know it's just maybe too high so but case by case use your fucking mind got it so what about back when you get to camp back in camp there are amenities to be observed the first is not to get separated from your rifle. Most people describe, so I thought this was funny. Most people describe amenities like, oh, you know, we've got free breakfast. We've got, we've got complimentary Wi-Fi. We've got a bidet in every room. And so Colonel Cooper is like, 
the biggest amenity that he cares about is being able to carry a rifle everywhere. So imagine like you're getting an all-inclusive resort trip to Mexico and they're like, oh, hey, I need to ask you some questions about the amenities. And then, you know, the, the travel assistant just starts like presenting at you like, oh, well, you know, you can do this and this. And then mimosas every morning is like, hey, when I say amenity, I mean, can I carry my rifle anywhere? Because that's his first amenity. You don't get separated from your rifle. Unless a gun safe is available, as is sometimes the case in modern Africa lodges, always stay with your rifle in my carefully considered opinion you must not get caught out of reach ever i've known many bad things to happen from losing track of your weapon and not just in war there is for example the matter of attending to one's natural functions your rifle goes with you i do not fancy unloading it but some people do if your host insists very well but be sure that you have the reserve supply of ammunition in your pockets. So he's saying, hey, listen, at any resort I go to, I'm taking my rifle into the fucking bathroom even because I've just seen enough bad stuff happen if you don't have a gun that, hey man, sorry. To the over-civilized, these, precaution these precautions may sound excessive, but I have lived a long and active life and I am still alive because I've always been very, very careful. Let that be a word to the wise. I never like to get more than two steps away from my rifle. If I must go somewhere, my rifle goes with me. And then he says, but all this stuff to learn proper gun handling takes a certain amount of thought and its principle must be practiced. If possible, go to a good rifle school. If not, he, he quotes fucking Thomas Jefferson and he says, well, then let your gun be your companion on all your walks, as Thomas Jefferson puts it. Get used to your rifle, live with it, handle it, and practice with it. The way he talks about rifles, I, if I was his wife, I would be jealous. Chapter 5, Sighting and Aiming. Uh, so he talks about sights, and this is like pretty much outdated because you know there's really just like fixed sights and like little aperture sights. I don't fucking know, but um, they did have scopes. And he says, likely you're going to be using a scope. Um, the combat shooter and the hunter have slightly different problems in aiming. He will rarely stand erect and stationary as he does in the combat simulators, so you will normally place your sights dead center and squeeze carefully. The hunter must be more rigorously disciplined in his marksmanship than the soldier because he owes his target a quick painless death where the soldier does not really care what happens to his adversary. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know why he threw that in there in the sighting section, but it just, he's just pointing out like, hey, when you're hunting an animal, you got to respect it. When you're hunting a man, who fucking cares? He, then he says, there's a theory that it is even better to wound an enemy than to kill him because it will, it will place a logistical burden on the other side. It only does this, however, in static warfare, and I have never held it to be important. He's not saying you purposely try to wound him. He's just saying, Obviously, you don't care about him. He's still shooting to kill. Um, and then he goes into so this is still about like the aiming. Um, a common weakness in the in the novice hunter is his tendency to shoot at the whole beast without concentrating on the vital zone. So that's totally true. Um, you know, the first time you see a deer in the wild, you just are like, "Oh my god, deer! Shoot it until the red water comes out," and you just point at it. 
But then after you miss, <laughs> you know, you learn, damn it. That's why we aim at a dot on the target range. And so like the last deer I shot, I was like, get a side picture, get a side picture, get a side picture. Then I saw the deer and I felt this crushing pressure to like, oh my God, shoot the deer, shoot into the deer anywhere, shoot in the belly. But I forced myself and I aimed and I was like, that's where the heart is. And I shot it and it was a super good shot. And so that's what he's saying. When you're, when you're thinking about aiming, there's going to be this temptation of like, fuck, that's a man. It's like, nope, aim for the brain. It is clear the hunter's problems are different than those of the soldiers. It would be a great mistake to say that hunters are generally better shots than soldiers because a lot of hunters fucking suck. However, it is safe to say that the sport rifleman is likely a better shot than a soldier. So basically, he's just laying that out to say, like, listen up. It's a different flavor of the same problem. But if you're hunting man or you're hunting beast, hey, you got to be a good shot. And a lot of times there's some baller hunters and he's been in the military and he's been like, if you were in the military, you'd be murking bitches. But over here, you're just killing Bambi. That's how to aim. <laughs> okay. Really clear. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Next firing positions. And now again, I'm kind of like that novelist guy, except way shittier. And, um, which I ain't, I ain't learned anything from the military. I don't, I've never been in the military. Okay. I've learned a lot of this as Musashi has from the universe and from my redneck friend, shout out. Um, and so when he's saying firing positions, I think there's actually like defined specific firing positions according to military doctrine. And you know, it's like, okay, this is the bench rest. This is how we shoot on the bench rest. This is like the, the standing offhand. And there's probably like 15 that you learn and you master those. And that, that's like a good way, but it, but he's also saying that can be a start, but you can't be tied to that. The shooter's body is the actual gun mount. It not only stabilizes the rifle so that efficient sighting can be achieved, but it also affects trajectory initiation by moving slightly as the projectile moves from the chamber to the muzzle. Consequently, the shooter's firing position should be as solid and stable as he can make it. So he's basically saying like, hey, when you're shooting, you know, a rifle just without the human is perfectly accurate or as accurate to X standard deviation as it can come and the ammo starts to really affect it. Once you add in the human, you know, your job is to stabilize it. And, you know, you, and, and if you have, if you don't have stability, like even the fact that your body exists is affecting the trajectory of the bullet because it's like the slightly absorbing recoil. The goal of the expert rifleman is a perfectly placed shot placed by whatever system is most appropriate for the circumstances. The formal positions taught in the military work, but it should be kept in mind that shooting in the field is the reason for rifle skill, and the field is not bound by regulations. And so growing up at the Taekwondo, there's two types of Taekwondo. There's one that's like traditional style, which is basically like kickboxing, but with a 70% emphasis on kicks, 30% on punches. And so like, yeah, our boxing was kind of shitty. I had to go like learn through pain how to do boxing. But then there's sport Taekwondo. And that has optimized so fucking hard for the act of scoring points that like it's turned into like little chicken fighting. Like these people just kick their legs around like little fucking chickens. And, you know, like they are pretty good kickers sometimes, but overall they have lost 
the ability to be successful for self-defense. Because if you take a step back, why would you ever learn a martial art for self-defense? And so he's saying, don't get so focused on these like doctrinal ways of shooting because ultimately the goal is not to win through points on your little fucking shooting competition. The goal is to defend yourself and, and, and be successful in the field. The principle of the field smart of the field marksman can be stated thus. If you can get closer, get closer. If you can get steadier, get steadier. For a shooter to bring off a successful shot from an unnecessarily unstable position is no credit to him. On the contrary, it diminishes him in the opinion of any knowledgeable critic. So he's saying that, you know, the that rule that is deductively true. So when you're in the field, when you're using a rifle to defend against tyranny or to take meat or, you know, whatever, you're in the military. If you can get closer, do it. If you can get steadier, do it. So any long any shot that's unnecessarily longer or unnecessarily less stable than it could have been, you know, it that actually isn't like, oh my God, look how good that guy is standing up and shooting. Because like there was the hood of a car he could have he could have put his rifle on. He's saying that's actually a guy or a girl who has a lack of understanding of the robust system known as rifle shooting that one must develop in order to be successful and to have the power of a god. And so he goes into a bunch more. There's a bunch more pictures with like, you know, rest, like using your sling. And like, I don't even know, dude. But the key here is to remember those two rules. If you can get closer, get closer. If you can get steadier, get steadier. The purpose of shooting is hitting. <laughs> That's a great point. Any system or technique that increases the prospect of hitting the target is good. Therefore, the expert marksman will always use a rest when he can. For our purposes, a field rest may be defined as any sort of object, non-integral to the rifle, that may be used to support its weight. And so I didn't know this. I don't know how hard and fast of a rule this is, but like, I feel like Colonel Cooper's gonna haunt my house, even though like ghosts are only supposed to live places they've died. Like, if I don't agree with him, he's just gonna be like, I heard what you said. And then, you know, my wife's psychic, and so she's gonna be like, there's, there's a... There's a ghost who says he's Colonel Jeff Cooper in our house. Do, do you want to, do you know anything about that? Like, nope, nope, uh, nope. I no idea. That's crazy. And then I'm gonna have to go talk to him. Be like, hey, buddy, listen up, man. I'm sorry for what I said. So, I don't know it, how how much wiggle room there is, but he's saying that the rifle must not touch the rest. This is because the barrel vibration causes passes through it and it loses consistency. So he's saying, like, okay, you go rest your rifle on a fence post. Don't actually rest your rifle on a fence post. He's saying, normally the rest will be on the hand of the shooter and not a hard object, but a resilient one. So the he's saying that, okay, cool, you, you want to use a rest. Well, you're and you're in the field. Oh, you found a fence post. Awesome. Don't rest your rifle on the fence post. Put your hand in a fist and rest your rifle on your fist. I don't know. There's a lot of pictures of resting rifle on your fist. There's also a lot of pictures of like wild ass ways of shooting that like, dude, maybe he's right. I don't know. But thus, the marksman when using a rest 
always places his hand upon the support and places the rifle in his hand. When shooting over a log or rock or the hood of a car, it is the hand that rests upon the support and not really the rifle. Then there's a the whole chapter on like how to pull the trigger. <laughs> so I can't really help you, dog. Read the book and practice. Chapter 10, the eye. The eye of the rifleman serves him in two ways. First, it allows him to align his weapon correctly. And second, it is his primary means of acquiring targets. The telescopic sight, AKA the scope, is here to stay. The principal advantage is not its magnification, but its single focal plane. When seen in the glass, the aiming index or reticle is in the same focal plane as the target, obviating the necessity of the shooter to switch his focus back and forth from one point to another. Thus, the, the scope is the quickest form of sighting when used properly. When its technique is not understood, however, it may be quite slow. So what he's basically saying is that like the point of the scope, it's not as much for magnification. It's for like if you're using fixed sights, you know, you basically have to like put the sight over the target. Okay. And then once you've determined it's somewhat aligned, you've got to focus all your energy on the front sight. And then you're like, okay, shit. And then you like kind of look at the target. Then you look back at the front sight. You look at the target, you look back at the front sight, like making sure you get that shit exactly aligned. And he's saying that like, yeah, cool. It's cool that, you know, you can, you can magnify with the scope but the real benefit is that you just put the scope over the target and it's in the same focal plane there's none of that back and forth you just look at the target and the reticle at the same time regardless of the type of sight used the rifleman must devote his entire concentration to the selection of his intended point of impact this may not be critical in a fight because human and human antagonists are not very resistant to gunfire and are often disabled by a periphery hit from a serious cartridge. Besides, we do not we do not shoot humans for sport. Thank you so much for clarifying, dude. I, I didn't know, actually. Besides, we do not shoot humans for sport. We don't, man. That's not okay. We've decided it's not okay to shoot humans for sport, but only under desperate circumstances where considerations of sportsmanship do not apply. However, when shooting a game animal, we must strive above all for a clean, painless kill, and we cannot get this by shooting generally at the body of the animal. And so, you know, you've got the sight, or you've got the fixed sights, or you've got one of his little fucking aperture things, whatever, but he's saying the most important critical thing when you're ready to shoot is deep focus on exactly where you're trying to hit. And he's saying, and you know, you can probably get away with it because, you know, we don't hunt humans for sport so we don't really need to care about how we shoot the enemy but if we're hunting animals for sport we gotta be ethical <laughs> that's the most like twisted sociopathic but like logically consistent thing i've ever heard so okay i can i can hang dog the second function of the rifleman's eye may be referred to as target acquisition what we see is only the first half of this function the second half is translated to the optic signal into a message on which the brain can work. This so-called hunter's eye is achieved when the brain, by practice, makes the correct analysis of the optical signal and makes it quickly. So, first function of the eye and of aiming is to select the target. But the second is to even be able to realize that there is a target. And, and that seems so stupid, but... Um, Eric Hartman, 
the German World War II fighter pilot, considered by many to be the greatest air-to-air fighter pilot. Everybody thought he just had really good eyesight, but they looked into it, and it wasn't that good. I mean, it was fine, but Hartman always seemed to find the other formation first. He would tell his wingman where to look, who would then have no trouble spotting the adversaries, but he always spotted them first. Often, so far away, he could count on his enemies not even seeing him until it was too late. A striking example of this is the elephant in the bush. The elephant is huge and never difficult to see, even for people with only marginal eyesight. But until you're used to it, you do not realize that you've been looking at an elephant for quite some time. And so what he's basically saying is that like you part of this part of the skill of shooting the rifle is even being able to understand what you're looking at and quickly in pattern recognition. And so um, a couple examples. So I saw so I've developed really, really good deer pattern recognition. So does my my good, uh, good hunting buddy. So t- two memories. One. So I was I was legit in the pantry looking for something that was right in my fucking face, like right in front of my face. My wife, she even calls it man vision. And uh, so I, I was like, hey, where's the canned fruit? Where's the canned fruit? And as I turn, I, I'm turning to like talk to her. I glance out the window, 300 yards away, I see the left butt cheek of a deer. And I say, hey, look, a deer. So like we go from, where's the fucking fruit? Right in front of my face to not even paying attention, 300 yards away the left butt cheek of a deer hey a deer and she's like how the fuck can you see a deer's butt cheek at 300 yards when you can't even find the canned fruit and she walked in the pantry pulled it out and like here you go it's like well if i could kill the canned fruit i'd probably be more focused on it but since it's already dead it just isn't that stimulating of a challenge then she looks at me and she's like i jesus christ i married an actual uncultured savage so that's the first example so that's real. Like you get better at pattern recognition. I remember the first time I saw a deer. Well, I remember the first time I saw a bush, which I thought was a deer. And I stared at it for 25 minutes and was having like, as the light was coming, I was just like, boom, 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 like heart, like heart beating. Turns out it was a bush. So like that pattern recognition is real. And second, um, for a while, like last year, we had this little baby deer that got trapped in our fence. And then it was like in our pasture and it was hanging out with the goats and it was like starting to domesticate itself. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like spread across the law of large numbers with a bunch of people that have fences. Probability says like eventually, you know, in an apocalypse situation, like deer would get domesticated. Got it. Um, so I kind of got used to seeing her and it's like, oh, it's our little deer buddy. And she like, she was still scared of us, but like getting more and more used to us. And like my wife was feeding her. It was cool until one day she escaped and then she left us forever. But um, my friend was, was, I think up on a ladder or like helping me around the house or something like we were doing a project. I don't know. Um, he's way tougher than me. And I turned and I was like, Hey, look, our pet deer. He was on the ladder with a drill in his hand, focused on something else, glances back. She is super hidden. Cause she'd like step behind a bush. And like, it was, I mean, you, you could see like six po- little pockets of her and he just looks and is like, cool and so and he saw her and and so the second part of what the eye should do is that pattern recognition being able to even see what you're looking at breathing okay so now we're entering the breathing part of the class constructed as we are humans have to breathe 
but not necessarily during the second or two it takes to press off a shot. The classic technique for breath control taught in military circles for over 100 years is thus. When you are in a position to fire, take a deep breath. Let it all the way out, then inhale half a breath, hold, take a shot. So, and take the shot. This works well on the target range, and I see no reason to preach differently. But the time will almost certainly come, however, when the marksman will not have the leisure to control his breath pr precisely. Much of the time in the field, the shooter is out of breath and must take his first shot. The shooter should understand that with a little practice, he can dampen the effect of heaving lungs and shoot pretty well in a hurry. In an out of breath situation, the, sh the shooter simply tightens up as if he were going to receive a solid punch to the solar plexus. <laughs> as his sights seek the target and his finger finds the trigger, he inhales hard and locks his mu muscles shut for a brief moment, which is enough for him to squeeze off a controlled shot. <laughs> You just breathe in, flex, apparently. So, um, at the risk of revealing that me and my good buddy Jordy are not normal, okay, um, I just by chance, I actually um, bought a firearms training class online by two lamb Ronin Tactics. And at the end, the exercise he did, he had people run and like run from this cone to this cone, take a shot. Run from this cone to this cone, take a shot. Run from this cone to this cone, take a shot. And he had like really cool music and it was so cool. And I was like, I want to try that. And it was the craziest thing. I was like, I shot at a range with my pistol. I was shot at a range. It was like, I was nine out of 10 on the paper. Like it was almost easy. And then I'm like, let me try this two lamb thing. And I run and then I go back and then no joke. I did 10 shots, like running and back and running and back and 10 shots. And I, I got one out of 10 and I was like holy shit okay because I just had never even done that when I was breathing hard like I'd never done it um, but the crazy thing was I was already pretty good at shooting and so I just had to learn how to shoot while breathing hard and so the second time I did it I was at like five out of ten the third time I was at like seven out of ten and, and you know and, and by like the fifth time you're hovering close to your previous performance. So it's, it's truly like you're learning the skill of presenting the skill you've already developed when you're super fatigued. So I think all of that to say like the best way to learn isn't to fucking read this book, but like go practice it. Got it. One is rarely called upon to use a rifle in a great hurry since the rifleman normally takes the initiative. But there are exceptions and one should know how to meet them. I will define the snapshot as one taken in two seconds or less from a condition alert and not aligned. The range is short and the firing position is offhand, which means not resting on anything. So he's saying usually you get to take your time, you get to rest, you get to put your, you know, your rifle on your fist, but sometimes you turn and look, bitch, there's a bear. That bear's charging you. That bear's 50 yards away. You know what you do? You pull up your rifle, you take the shot. The skill is not taught in the military. It is, however, one of the attributes of a completely qualified rifleman and is very satisfying to command. The firing position in the snapshot is offhand and the offhand position should be learned at medium speed before the snapshot is attempted. So offhand, you know, it's less consistent. So you just have to learn anything like learn how to shoot offhand before you try to go fast as fuck, you idiot. Like, okay, great point. I got it. Um, an essential element of snapshotting is binocular vision, 
a right-handed shooter tracks with his left eye and shoots with his right. So he's saying, okay, you turn, you look, you see a bear. You've got your rifle. You pull your rifle up, you align it using your left eye, and you switch your focus to your right eye, and you pull the trigger. It takes practice and does not come naturally to most people, but the shift from the left eye to the right eye is readily mastered by anyone who knows what he's trying to do and puts a little time and effort. The instant a correct offhand position is assumed, the right eye takes over and acquires the sight picture on the target. If the right rifle is mounted correctly, there's no need to adjust. So he's saying, you know, you, you point the rifle at the target, you align it with your, le your left eye, and your natural point of aim is so good that all it takes is like a tiny little adjustment to find your right eye, fire. Poof. He says, even in that snapshot moment, rather than telling your finger to press, you must allow the weapon to fire itself at a very small interval, which to you, the shooter, sets the limits. This time interval might be so small as to be imperceptible to an observer, but you will know what you did and you will be rewarded with a good hit. So that's pretty fucking crazy and like also in the weeds, but just deal with it. We're in the weeds. So he's saying, okay, you've got this snapshot, bear, pull, you know, you, you've got it up. Now you're using your right eye. And so even going quick, you need to like mentally shorten the left and right boundaries of this, but like still let the trigger surprise you. So still do a good trigger pull. So he's saying, even going fast, there's a difference between a duffer's pull and a quick but good trigger pull. And um, then he closes with, if you really want to be a baller here, it's possible to shoot flying trap and skeet targets with your rifle. Now, that also sounds like a good way to accidentally like kill your neighbor. So I don't know. I'm not going to read any more about that. But he says he, he got good enough that he could break half of the trap and skeet targets with a rifle. And um, the best shot he ever saw was placed by late Carrie Finn of the Rhodesian Park Service, almost exactly between the eyes of a charging buffalo at a range of about 30 steps. It is well to remember that most of your practice for snapshotting may be conducted with an empty weapon without going to the range. Your television will provide you with unlimited targets, and once you have tried the action with live ammunition for a few sessions, you will know in your own mind whether your dry shot will hit or miss. So he's saying it's a it's a it's a low probability skill, but when you need it, you really need it. So you have to be able to shoot quickly with the rifle with the scope up to close ranges. Okay, crazy. Um, what about moving targets? Oh, okay. Only rarely will a rifleman be called upon to tag a target that is moving laterally across his front. Much more often, he will be moving straight away or straight toward him. So I will point out. <laughs> He is calling the target he. So he, he is clearly talking about man hunting. Nonetheless, a shooter should not, be, should not completely give up on running shots, especially in fighting where sportsmanship is not involved. The important thing is to make sure that the movement of the rifle is following the target and it's not checked at the moment of discharge, a common and usually disastrous error. So he's saying, hey, if you have to shoot a moving target, Okay, you, you know, you track the target with your gun, and then when you shoot, you don't stop and look. You keep tracking. And, and th that follow-through he's saying is very important. I would also think that, like, just practicing, you know, 8,000 times on moving targets, that's probably, like, the 80-20 here, but, like, yeah, you know, do what he says, too. Um, then he moves into reloading. And so uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize this for you. You take the shot, and then you reload the bolt. Because, you know, there's, there's this, 
and, and we see this in archery too, where like there's a temptation, a deep temptation when you're shooting one really important shot to like let the results of the shot influence the actual shot. So like with archery, you know, you want to you take the shot and then you feel this feeling like you want to pull your bow down and you want to look at the results. But the problem is in your mind, it's really hard to differentiate between like when the shot actually happens and when you pull the bow down because like after the shots happen you could pull the bow down bow down but the best practice ends up being you take the shot and you hold that hand out there you force the follow-through because if you don't inevitably you're gonna do a couple shots where you pull your hand down and you look and you're like fuck yeah and then you're gonna like get this little dopamine rush and you're like whoa yeah buddy and then that bad habit's gonna kick in and then now you're gonna be like shooting way to the left you're not gonna know why and so he's saying that it's the same thing, you know, if, if you if you take a shot and on a moving target, do the process, do the follow through. If you have to shoot, reload, do the process. Don't like shoot with the open chamber, be like, hey, look what I got. No, shoot, reload. Okay, that's the next state. And then now we can we can solve the other problem of do they need another bullet or not? So imagine we're at this class with Colonel Cooper. We've all gained 10 pounds of muscle during the class. We've gone out to the range. He's taught us these com- concepts. He's taught us about aiming. He taught us about resting. And then we, he calls us back in. He hands out some beers. He hands out some pizza. He pulls out a knife. He cuts his arm. He looks at all of us. He says, now class, today I'm going to close this class with two more things. One, the mind of a rifleman and two drills that you guys can take home and if you can do them you can look me in the eyes and say that you're a rifleman during the many decades i've studied discussed practiced and taught rifle marksmanship i've noticed that the state of mind of the rifleman is not a commonplace topic i believe that this is a mistake for if we agree that the purpose of shooting is hitting I guess we agree on that. The state of mind of the rifleman at the moment of discharge is probably the single most important element in success. This may actually be one reason why we occasionally encounter a mediocre target shot who is particularly successful in the field. So this reminds me of like, I saw, I don't know why I remember this, but I happened to be on Reddit and I saw um, like a, there's a, there's a subreddit called like <laughs> justice porn and it's not porn. It's like a bully who's picking on a little kid and then the little kid like knocks him out. Or like a guy that is like roofies a girl then the bartender switches the drink. The guy roofies himself and falls on the ground. Everyone's like, hey, hey, hey. And so there was one where there was a guy who was robbing a convenience store and the and and, and he had a what looked like a gun. And this, this security guard runs in and shoots the guy who had the fake gun or well, who had the gun. And the guy falls to the ground and, and the guy so the guy falls to the ground and is like my gun was fake my gun was fake and the security guard no sight picture holding it one-handed canted like rapper style had shot this dude and the security guard was goes like yeah well mine's fucking real and then, dude i think dies um but so what colonel cooper is saying is that like mindset like that security guard is like you know if a motherfucker comes in here i'm gonna cap that bitch and then it's like, but dude, you don't know you don't know anything about shooting techniques. It's like, yeah, but you know what I do know about having a big dick. And so that's uh that's what he's saying. So sometimes, you know, you encounter people who just have such a good mindset that they're like, 
know, mediocre target shot, but that aggression, that running in, like, my gun's fake, well, mine's fucking real, and then watching that dude die, that's, um, that, go, that counts for something. Target competition rewards consistency, but in the field, either in hunting or in fighting, the ability to deliver the first shot is really all that matters. This ability is not so much a matter of eyesight, firing position, or trigger control as a matter of concentration. And so apparently he, you know, he, like he, he holds grudges for life. And so he, there was apparently like some student who was like giving him an excuse years ago. I'm sure it was like at, at the latest, it was 1980, uh, giving him some excuse who was like, but you know, if, if a shooter is sufficiently excited, you just can't expect them to shoot well. You know, like explaining why he shot shitty. Um, and Colonel Cooper just says, this may indeed be true of some people, but it can never be true of the expert field marksman. At the moment of truth, whether shooting a paper target, a distant antelope, or a charging buffalo or human, it, and, I, and dude, I'm not glorifying any of this. I, I detest it. You know, I'm almost a vegetarian now. I'll admit it. But uh, just, just reporting back from the void. It is simply not acceptable for the shooter to let the excitement of the moment interfere with his sight picture and trigger squeeze. Yeah, it's just not acceptable. It's like, well, how do you do it? How do you, how do you, how do you keep your head? Um, I don't know. You're a man. But, but think about what he's saying. He's saying that with enough practice, we can build such a resilient skill that no matter what, we can command the bullets to go where they need to go. You know, someone's invading your house and you look out your window and you see someone running across your field with a rifle and you have to make a 140-yard shot, you can do it. It isn't acceptable to let the excitement mess with you. The biggest deer in the history of time, it can be done. Aliens, it can be done. What it takes is concentration, the most important element of the exercise. The shooter must be able to block every extraneous consideration out of his mind. He must not allow the stress of circumstances to interfere with his shooting stroke in any fashion. The circumstances may be extremely exciting before and after the shot, but at the moment of the shot, there must be no room in the shooter's mind for anything but the technique of a perfect release. So all that shit that's happening around you, you need to have the discipline to just do a good shot. This technique, this proper concentration, it's not enough. But when coupled with proper technique, it's devastating. But I was excited. It's just not an acceptable statement on a part of a good shot. Self-control is what makes a good shot, and self-control is also what makes a good man. The two ideas are not necessarily coincident, but there is a connection. So we're like, we went to this class. We bought a freaking firearms class on Groupon. And then you know, we watched Colonel Cooper cut his arm. He's bleeding everywhere. He taught us all about this. We's, you know, he starts the class off with like, the outcome of this class is you'll be, a, you'll be a god. And he just said, mindset. You know that fear, that craziness? Well, we don't even say fear. But that craziness you feel, yeah, it's just unacceptable to let that influence your shot. And now he gets to the end. And he says, okay, class. I want to give you a test. I want, I want to, if you can pass this test, you can leave here and you can honestly say you're a good, good marksman because he recognizes that it's like a really complicated skill. You know, it's like, how do you be the best mixed martial artist? Well, you can't just be the best at jujitsu. 
you have to also be the best or really close to the best at boxing. And so same thing with rifle shooting. Uh, he, he lays out three tests and I'm going to describe them quickly, but you're going to probably have to buy the book. Um, first is offhand. And so like you got to have a command of offhand shooting, which is, which is that quick, Oh God, it's a bear. And that no rest, just pull it up, shoot. The snapshot is not well understood by most riflemen. And in truth, it's seldom required in the field. I've used it on three occasions and I've seen other people do so perhaps a dozen times more. Rarity, however, does not constitute negligibility. And although you may never really use a snapshot in your life, if the occasion arises, you will really appreciate its skillful execution. As with the defensive pistol, you may never need it, but if you do need it, you will really need it. We test the ability of the aspiring rifleman to deliver the snapshot with consistency. So he has a standard test, uh, two stages, 25 yards and 50 yards, and the shooter has one and a half seconds to take the shot. And so there are five shots at 25 and five shots at 50. And so beep, one and a half seconds, beep. Okay, did you do it? And you have to shoot within like, um, like the kill zone on the target. It is a rare shooter who can fire a perfect score with 10 successive shots in one and a half seconds from ready. Lest he become too pleased with himself, he should repeat this exercise three times on three successive days before patting himself too hard on the back. So that's the first. To be a really good rifleman, according to his tests, you gotta be able to do quick offhand shooting, 10 out of 10 shots, one at five at 25, five at 50, within a kill zone. Okay, okay. Next, he puts his people through the rifle 10 drill. So there's a target at 300 meters and there's five firing points, 300, 275, 250, 225, and 200. On the signal, so it's go, you dive into position, any position you choose and engage the target with two shots. And so you first take shot two shots at 300, then you take two shots at 275, then you take two shots at 250, 225, 200. And there's some fucking score based on points and time, but um, any shooter, who scores more than 40 points with half his shots in the X ring in 120 seconds or less can consider himself a good shot. So that's the second standard. And like, I don't think the drill is that important, but it's like, okay, you've got to have command of 300 to 300 to 200 yards, because if you can shoot at 300 to 200 quickly and accurately, like you'll be able to shoot at a hundred. And uh, there's a point system. You gotta be reasonably accurate. You gotta be reasonably fast. Got it. And the third and final drill it's called the rifle bounce. So they're steel popper targets. So those are the ones where you hit them and they fall down. Three firing points are set up adjoining so that the, the shooter must reposition himself for each target. 100, 200, 300 meters. On the signal, he engages them in sequence. Firing positions are freestyle and he may fire at any target as much as he wishes as long as it doesn't exceed six rounds. So it's basically saying you got three targets they're the steel targets where if you hit them once, they'll fall down. So you, you basically, you can do two shots per target potentially. And um, you have to do it as fast as possible. You got to knock them down. And so, you know, there's a little bit of strategy, I'm sure, where like at 100, maybe you maybe you just, hey, I'm only going to take one. Boom. And you fire it. And then at, you know, at 200, you're like, I'm going to take two. And then you've got, you know, three at, at 300. I don't fucking know. Um, but anyone who can clean the course in 20 seconds is good especially if he can do it twice in a row. 
Now he's closing up this class for us. The three foregoing tests do not constitute the effective, the entire range of rifle marksmanship, but they will serve to evaluate general rifle skill in a satisfactory manner. It will be noted that in every case, accuracy is balanced against speed because this balance is the essence of the activity. Anyone who can do well consistently on these three tests using a major caliber rifle is a marksman to be taken seriously. Well, holy shit. It winds down again. Straight fucking knowledge directly from a master. This, this was like reading Michelangelo's treatise on sculpture or Hercules' handbook on seducing Meg. A little theory, but mostly practical fucking wisdom from a man who has been there and done that. How to think about a rifle. When a man picks up a rifle, he instantly goes from subject to citizen. How to shoot. Moving past the basic bench rest position to real true shooting positions. How we need to understand best practices and doctrine, but the true master can shoot anything he sees. He learns from the universe. It gave me hope that the best shot and the best rifleman in history, according to Colonel Cooper, was that fucking novelist guy, totally self-taught. So all of us, priests, can ascend to the highest levels of marksmanship if we put our little minds to it, if we're Kusei Monos and if we follow the way. Consistency and speed is critical. On a fence post, on your hand, standing. And then he finished with the most important part, the mind of the rifleman. Concentration is paramount. My gun's fake. My gun's fucking real. It is merely unacceptable to let excitement, fear, and nervousness come into your mind when you're taking a shot. And finally, he laid out some drills that we can all take, measure against, and if we can pass these three tests, just like Frodo, I don't know how, but it is, we can call ourselves riflemen. And we close this with a thought by the man himself, Colonel Cooper, a well-known warrior, a well-known samurai, a well-known bastard. And he says, Bushido is all well and good, but it's no match for a 30-odd six. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's my pretties is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, The Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.